Welcome to WeChat Divorce with Karen Shalou, Legal Liaison, and Katherine Shanahan, CDFA, co-founders of My Divorce Solution, the company that delivers the quintessential financial blueprint to couples facing or going through the divorce process. This blueprint, known as the MDS Financial Portrait, establishes the foundation and options an individual or couple would need to make clear financial decisions when considering divorce. Each podcast, Catherine and Karen sit down with divorce professionals and other individuals who provide insight and frank discussion about real people, real situations, and real divorce. Welcome to WeChat Divorce. Catherine and I are happy to welcome Mariana Goldenberg, CDFA, to our podcast today. In this epi episode, we're going to discuss five critical considerations when dividing executive compensation and divorce. But first, let me take a couple minutes to introduce Mariana. With 30 years of experience, Mariana is founder and CEO of Curo Wealth Management. Kiro Wealth Management is a financial planning firm located in Bucks County, Pennsylvania. Kiro in Latin means to take care, and this is exactly what they do for a select group of families, women, and busy executives. When it comes to her clients, Mariana takes care of everything relating to their finances. She loves teaching and empowering people to make important decisions for their financial future, helping to set them off on a better path than where they started. Mariana especially loves it when they bring their kids into the conversation so that they can learn too, and she can help them save for their futures. Welcome, Mariana. Thank you, Karen. Thank you, Catherine. I'm delighted to be part of your podcast today. Oh, we're so happy to have you. And boy, oh boy, could we go on and on about this conversation? Because I don't think that there's a day that goes by that I don't get frustrated um, of what people overlook when it comes to executive compensation. So this will be a great conversation for people listening. So thanks for coming on board. Of course. You are a wealth of knowledge uh, and often a resource I go to when we're doing our financial portraits to get some more input from you because you really are an expert um, when it comes to executive compensation. Thank you. I completely agree. What would we do without Mariana some days? <laughs> The only thing I think was missing from your intro there, which was a nice long intro, Karen, thank you for that, was um, when you said she looks after families and teaching children. I forget, where are the dogs? You know, oh, Marianne is always yeah. including her dog in something. Absolutely. So let's jump into this. Five things to consider. Um, I know there's more than that, and we'll tackle five of them today. You know, this is just such a topic that people are afraid of. Um, their attorneys steer away from sometimes, um, and the individuals, the non-employees in particular, and even the employee employees themselves sometimes, a little bit of it is over their heads on what's considered marital and what's not considered marital. So what's the first thing somebody should consider? That's a great question, Catherine. What's really important to understand is these days, a lot of companies change the way they reward their employees. It used to be they have like, they used to have lifetime pensions uh, or cash bonuses, but the employee, employers really try to tie the success of the company 
to um, you know to the compensation that they give to their employees. And part of that is something that's called long ter long term uh, incentives or executive compensation. And it's really uh, involved in um, very uh, important concept. And a lot of times, even employees themselves don't understand how it works. And then you put divorce on top of that, and you have parties that are not privy to that. And it becomes very complex issue that we always come across during the divorce and distribution of assets. Um, there are various kinds of long-term care incentive or executive compensation. And the most common ones are restricted stock units, performance stock units, uh, stock options, which are then divided into qualified and non-qualified and uh, restricted stock units or RSUs for short. Those are the kinds of executive compensation that we normally see. And how do you know if your spouse has that? That's a great question. Um, a lot of times it's really overlooked because as part of discovery, uh, you, the attorneys usually ask for tax returns or, um, you know, other documents that don't include this particular type of compensation. It's really, if, if someone works for a especially publicly traded companies and they are of a senior management position, chances are that part of their compensation is executive comp or uh, LTI. The best way to determine if someone has one is obviously to ask but not everybody is going to be forthcoming in, in sharing that information. The best way uh, I found to, um, to understand if someone has this type of compensation is ask for a few documents. The first one is total compensation package. And it's really a printout that employee gets every year that shows everything that they receive as part of their overall compensation. The second one is to request their 1231 pay stub. And the reason I say 1231 is because different companies have different timing of when their executive compensation gets paid. Some do it in the beginning of the year, some do it in the middle, some do it quarterly. So it's really important if you request 1231 pay stub, it will show up on that pay stub. It will not show, show up on W-2, it will not show a tax return. So those are usually the two main documents that are requested. And if you just have those, you won't know. And the other thing that's important too is to Google. We all know you can get any answer in Google these days. So part of the discovery should be Googling the, the compensation for the company. And chances are you'll find out a lot about the plans by doing that in conjunction with the rest that I just mentioned. You know, I want to just expand a little bit on that 1031, I mean, 1231 pay stub, you know, or pay statement, however you want to reference it. So often, Karen and I, when we're putting together um, the financial portraits for individuals, you know, we'll hear, no, I got this pay stub or I got that pay stub. And no, they said that we can look at a W-2 with it or what's the big deal? I have this quarter's pay stub. It really is a big deal to get that last year-end statement. I mean, there's a lot of valuable information there, you're saying. 
Yep. There is if there is additional bonus that was paid that wasn't outlined before based on the project or patent or um, you know some kind of a additional recognition, all going to show up there. It's such a great source for for discovering yeah. compensation that wasn't disclosed. And I'm just going to ask, because this is really not my area of expertise, except I'm in the document collection piece a lot, and you're identifying the existence of the executive compensation, because I know a lot of um, uh, you know, the other party or the spouse with the executive compensation will say, well, it exists. Yes, I agree with that. And here's a spreadsheet defining what the it is. And so to your point, that compensation package is important as to how it plays out. So I just wanted to make the differentiation there from the existence of it to the valuation of it. That's two different perspectives. So true, Karen. And it's a really valid point because a lot of people do just what you said, spreadsheets. And this is not a valid document from the company, something that's called a stock or options ledger, which is the official document from the company will identify once we know there is an existence of the executive compensation, it will be an official record that will identify what particular compensation we're talking about, all the particulars, the dates that they were awarded, the dates that they become available to the employee and um, you know the taxes that will be taking so it, it's really a wealth of information as well. Can you compare that to a screenshot of someone logging into their net benefit statement on the computer? Um, is that the actual ledger because often when we're Karen when you're collecting the documents you'll see the screenshot or um, someone just logging into their net benefits on a certain date and it'll show what's vested, what's not vested. Is that the same thing as asking for the company's ledger? Uh, depends on the screen and depends on the company, but I would say this is a good beginning because in order to be really fully um, disclosed, let's say, the screenshot is terrific. The other thing that's important is something that's called the summary plan description or SPD, because that's going to really spell out the all's ins and outs of the specific plan. Um, also, if there are any historical vesting or exercise that happened before, we need those exercise invoices to determine if the actual shares were sold were kept after the vesting. So it'll show us if that happened, when it happened, what was the cost basis of those shares and the taxes withheld. So the historical part of that during marriage, during separation, uh, and then the future are all important parts to for the overall picture. I, that's great. Yeah, to your point there too, Mariana, where you said that's a good beginning, I think sometimes it can stop there. As they're collecting documents, they get a couple pieces of paper and say, oh, this is a good beginning, whether it's the mediator, the attorney, or whoever they're working with. And they assume that as they get closer to the agreement or to the trial or the master's conference or wherever they're going to be, um, you know, hashing out the logistics, 
no, no one has gone back to pull that ahead and get to get all the information. So I know when I'm working with clients, I'm saying, let's just get this out of the gate. It's easy to get. If you're getting one, one thing, you might as well get all of it um, so that everybody has that fund of information from which to work. And I think that's so important because by the end of it, if you're not staying on top of it to collect all the relevant information, you've got a lot of information to collect and things get easily overlooked when you're trying to hash out a settlement. I totally agree. And you, I really believe in the saying, you don't know what you don't know. So in order to have you know, the good understanding, you have to have all the documents and you know, make, make the, the conclusions, but then you have the facts. That's what you need. Yeah. Yes. And it's much easier to get those facts to Karen's point when you're in the process of collecting and you're not getting fatigued by the whole process and just over it. By the time that you really need the facts, you just don't want it. You want to be done with it. So I totally agree with that. So what's the next tip number two for you to consider? So we just discussed how do you even know someone has that particular, you know, uh, asset or the second one, once you determine if someone does have the executive compensation plan, you really have to understand what it is that you're looking at. As I mentioned, there is various types of executive compensation, stock options, restricted stock units, performance stock units, uh, long-term uh, deferred comp. Uh, the important thing is to make sure you get summary plan description for each document and really outline what it is that you're dealing with. If it's stock options, are they uh, incentive stock options or they're non-qualified stock options? What are the terms? When do they vest? Um, is there, a, um, when you exercise, do you hold the stock or do you sell the stock? Uh, each you know, uh, each award is very different. You um, would, uh, and, and I see it a lot in the property settlement agreements where they use the word vested or exercise for the wrong type of the executive plan. So you really wanna make sure if it's options, they're vesting and they're exercise. If this are restricted stock units you're talking about, they cannot be exercised, they can only vest and you have no control with when. Where with the uh, stock options, you do have control when you can exercise. So it's very different terminology that gets often mixed up between different awards. So that seems the, like an easy thing, right? But now you signed your agreement and you have to make sure that you're able to execute your agreement. So if the language is not properly written, how does that happen? You know, so these are really good points. And I know if you're listening to this podcast right now, your head is probably doing a whole spin around because you've mentioned a lot of big words like vesting and non-qualified and qualified. So it's really important I'm hearing you say to get that summary plan description so that you do not have to be a genius with this, but you have to be able to have the document to actually outline what it is that That's you're exactly dealing with. Right. And because I often see the document that spells something out about the plan, something like, oh, let's divide this particular asset in half, or you know, the employee can do this or, or that. And it's really important to, to know that if you're 
uh, legal document says that you can do something, but the document that the plan is based on doesn't allow for it, you can't do anything. The, 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 uh, the divorce document becomes obsolete if the plan document doesn't allow for a certain transaction. And if you don't have the summary plan description that you incorporate into your divorce document, it's not going to work. It's just useless piece of paper at that, that point. And guess what? You have to go back and negotiate and you know pay additional fees to get it resolved. That's such a good point, Mariana. Um, I know when we're compiling uh, the MDS portrait for our clients and they have executive compensation, we'll put that in the table of recommendations and considerations. We'll say, this is what you have, this is what you need, and this is who can help you. Because a lot of attorneys, frankly, aren't financially um, trained, of course. You know, it takes a village, it takes a team when getting through any kind of difficult challenges. So even if your attorney may not understand how the executive compensation works or all the nuances of it or the complexities of it, you can take that to your financial planner, just someone just like Mariana, who can help you know how that plays out so that your attorney has the information he or she needs then to get that agreement um, rock solid for you. And it's it's so true. And I often work with couples where they do have their financial planners, but these particular people are not specialized in, in the executive compensation. So okay. they might say this is what they suggest, but it's not going to be really useful if that's not their specialty. So it's a I would highly recommend to talk to your financial professionals and see do you work with executive compensation? Do you understand how it works? Um, do you have specific companies uh, and plans that you're really familiar with? Because although it's a common asset, but each plan might has its own specifics and you need to know those specific specifics. And let me piggyback off of what you were saying, Karen, because let's take a look at the the um, downside to all of this, I guess. So let's just say I'm sitting here and I have this agreement and I'm listening to you guys speak. And I say, okay, great. My language isn't saying what Karen just said. And now Mariana, you're my financial planner and I bring you my agreement. Are you going to force me to go back to my ex-spouse to get this plan description because it was never requested before? Like, how are you going to help me if I don't have that information? That's a really million dollar question. <laughs> it really is because I did have situations um, where someone comes with a document and says, can you help me execute these, um, these, these terms? And it's really hard when the other spouse isn't you know, open or amicable. It's really hard to put in force something that's not spelled out. Um, so it might be a case where you need to go back and have the agreement rewritten. Um, if the other side is not cooperating, um, with the terms. And I often recommend for people even to have a separate agreement, which is not part of the overall MSA that states how to exactly go about and execute the terms of executive compensation. Also, a lot of times, um, and we might talk about it more, a lot of times um, you have to understand that the executive compensation is only an asset 
when it becomes vested. So doing something beforehand, the employee even doesn't own that asset and, until it's vested. So it might take a couple of years because before it becomes a real asset, but then the consideration have to be made, is it an asset subject to support or is it an asset subject to equitable distribution? And you can't double dip. So you that really has to be outlined as well in, in the property settlement agreement. Um, oh so boy, do we really, need to do it? We need another po podcast just on that. I know that if you're listening, you might write in and give us some questions on that. And I'm sure Marion will come back because that's such an important realization to make when you're negotiating. You know, a lot of people don't really want to sit back in that seat and say, no, they want to double dip, you know, and the other party doesn't. But but in, in to round up what we just said a second ago, if you're listening, whether you're the employee spouse or the non-employee spouse, if you do not want to communicate after the fact, which is in most cases, make sure you give the do documentation that's needed now and make sure you ask for the documentation needed now so that you can ensure that the proper language is in your agreement or that you have another agreement, which I love that idea, so that you do not have to communicate on these issues moving forward. Great point there. And I'm yep. just going to give a little case, uh, I guess, summary of, of something that we experienced not too long ago where the couple had an agreement and for whatever reason, it said the spouse was supposed to give um, the other spouse a copy of the W-2. Um, so that didn't happen. But... Um, the pay stub was what was needed, Mariana, to your point. Yes. And they yes. only got the W-2, but the agreement didn't call for the W-2. It, I mean, the, the agreement did not call for the pay stub. It only called for the W-2. So that became a real issue because now the spouse was without the proper documentation for her accountant to work with. Yep. It's, it, and that's the thing, you need to know what to ask for, because if you don't know what you don't know, the, the um, agreement will not be complete and followed properly. I totally agree. Um, can you all hear me? I thought I yes. lost my audio there. Okay, great. No, okay, sorry for the little me, delay. By the way. A little low. Okay. That's a little side by the sidebar there if you're listening to us. <laughs> it's a technical day on Monday, right? So that brings us to your third consideration, which is really, really important. And boy, do I can go on forever about this one. A lot of times you have an agreement written up or you're negotiating and your attorney or your mediator is leading that negotiation and they don't even realize if these um, awards are transferable or even dividable. So how do you suggest somebody considers that? Great question. I do see it quite a bit where, where attorneys state in the, in the uh, property settlement agreement that here's the, the you know, options or RSUs or what have you, and they should be divided 50-50, 60-40, whatever that might be. And as I said before, if the summary plan description or plan document does not allow for transferability, which is probably 90% of the time, you can't divide this. Doesn't matter what your document says. So the first thing what's really important is to A, define what you're trying to divide. Don't just say stock option, it's, which is a generic term. 
put the stock options or restricted stock unit, attach the, um, the ledger that we discussed, which clearly indicates the numbers, what, what's the grant number, what's the date of the grant, the vesting schedule and so forth. So you have the exhibit outlining that. And then that exhibit should, and we didn't talk about it yet, but that should state what part of those um, options or RSUs are marital property and what are not, because the ledger might show and will show all of them. You have to identify specific lots that are subject to division. Um, and then um, if you understand the plan document after you request it, you, you will know that it has to be done on the specific terms in, in order to be divided. So as we mentioned, if they're non-transferable, the only way you can give the non-employee spouse their portion is by non-employee spouse given a written authorization to their ex-spouse of the action they wanted to complete. Is it an action of um, exercising their option after vesting? Do they want to keep the stock after they exercise? Do they want the employee spouse sell the stock and send them the proceeds? And how much tax to, to withhold? So there is a lot of moving parts. They all sort of make sense once you do it once and there is specific order. But that's the only way pretty much with few exceptions that transferability has to take place. And it has to be outlined very specifically in the document, uh, which I again suggest to be a separate document aside from the property settlement agreement. Is that Boy, what you're again, we're, we're throwing out a lot of terms. I know if you're listening to this and your head spinning, spinning again, um, that's a lot to consider, right? And yeah. so it's, again, we're going to go back to getting the documentation so you can absorb it all a little bit at a time, not when you're forced to go to a settlement hearing and not when you're forced to negotiate. If you can digest this information beforehand, you'll make smart decisions. Um, so really the transferability and um, the division, because there's other things to consider and some of that money was taxed already. And so now you don't want to have be told that it's going to be taxed again, right? So it depends on the award that's given. So there's so much to consider. Yeah, it's it's a very complex uh, asset, if you will, uh, but it could be used uh, as a very um, rewarding asset if you know what you're doing, because it's easily overlooked, but it's also easily used improperly. And sometimes it's by design and sometimes it's just because someone doesn't know or understand how it works. Even in, uh, people that work for a company, they're busy executives. They keep running and building their corporate career and they don't have often time to slow down and understand how it works. So it, it, they might not themselves understand what's involved, let alone someone who's not involved in the company. 
You know, that's a really good point because often everyone takes the position that my spouse is lying to me about this or they're hiding this from me. And, you know, maybe we can look at it from a different point of view saying maybe they just don't understand it themselves, right? So again, it goes back to really requiring the documentation so that everybody's working uniformly on the same information. You know, and also, yes, this is such a complex asset, but remember a lot of wealth today was built off of this asset. So don't be afraid of it. Don't walk away from it and choose your home or something else because it's an easier solution. Take the time to understand what's on the table here before you make that decision. And if you don't understand, look, work with professionals. That's really important because uh, just like you wouldn't want to make your, your healthcare decisions without going to different specialists and getting second opinions and really making an informative decision, that's the same thing applies here. If you don't know, ask. If you're not sure, whoever you ask is giving you information that you can easily understand and process, go somewhere else. It's much easier and cost-effective and time-effective to do it all up front than deal with it at the end. And I did have, um, one of the reasons I became a CDFA 15 years ago was because someone came to me with this specific situation where they gave up their rights to the executive compensation because it was something difficult and something they couldn't quite understand and decided to take their home as an asset and gave up the executive compensation. And guess what happened? 2007, 2008, when real estate market collapsed, they had an asset that they thought worth a lot of money that was not liquid. They couldn't refinance uh, because they didn't have the income to uh, approve for, to get approved for refinancing. And they couldn't really sell it because the prices dropped significantly. So they were, they, they didn't have choices. And you always wanna be in control of your financial situation. And the only way you can, if you look at all the choices and then you make a decision that's based on data and your understanding, not because somebody said so. Exactly, and if you, if you ask a question once to your advisor, Mariana knows this for a fact, I must have asked 15 times the same question just so I had complete understanding of something. And that's okay, that's really okay. Yep. And from the perspective of choosing your battles, this is one of them where you definitely want to lean in and make sure you have all of the documentation necessary so that you can make an informed decision. It is so important because it could mean it could be the difference of a hundred, two hundred, three hundred thousand dollars. It's to that level. So, um, you know, I know a lot of people have a budget when it comes to divorce and they can only spend so much money. And I completely get that and we respect that. But this is one of those. Um, assets that you definitely want to make sure you have the information and documentation you need to make that really good decision for yourself. So true, so true. And another important consideration for that, if you already listened to us and you've done all the work and you've made the right decision, it's the follow-up or follow-through that I often see people overlook because once the proper uh, documents are executed, then somebody actually needs to follow up and 
put them into work. And if you are working with um, the uh, incentive compensation that's gonna span over a number of years, and you already moved on with your life, it's hard to remember, yes, you have to go back every year. And not only do you have to make sure that you give your uh, ex-spouse instructions how to execute the share that you were awarded because it's done on the annual basis, you also have to make sure that the taxes or tax consequences are addressed. And that's on the annual basis as well. So who wants to be attached by the hip every year, which is true, but also if there is lots of money like Karen said involved, perhaps that's something you want to do. Well, that's one thing I love about you and your practice. You are diligent and almost sometimes probably a thorn in my side because you follow up so much on these kind of things, right? So, but that's so important because time goes so quickly. You know, even myself personally, I can't believe I was divorced 11 years ago. I think it is 11 years ago or 10 years. You probably can't believe it, right? So it goes so fast with the blink of an eye. So you can very easily let that vesting date or let that um, um, sales, you could have sold the shares or whatever, and you're not following it. So if you don't have a good financial planner who's working on your team to keep you in line with this, then you can lose out. Um, so yes, I do think that's a great interview question when picking a financial planner. Um, what is their expertise in this field? And how do you help me stay in line with this? Um, those are really good questions. And I know you really cover that quite well. Very true. Great question. So what is the timing and the tax consequences? I know that's another consideration and maybe the fifth consideration yep. um, for handling these types of complex issues. Um, and yet another great question. So it's really important to go back to the beginning where we said uh, in 90% of the cases, the executive compensation is owned by the employee and it's not transferable. What that means that that employee will have to go through the steps of exercising uh, or selling the asset and with that or vesting if it's related to restricted stock units. Any of those transactions mean the next step is taxes because when you are awarded executive compensation, they're not taxed at the time of the award. They're taxed at the time of vesting in, in, um, when it's related to RSUs or at times of exercise as related to um, stock options. When those two events happen, that's when the taxation occurs. A lot of times companies change their rules they will do the mandatory tax withholdings on your behalf. When I say mandatory, that means federal tax, state tax, local tax, FICA, Medicare tax, social security tax. So all that is subtracted before the employee gets their net check. Some companies allow for the employee to increase their federal withholding if they already know they're in a high tax bracket. Some companies are gonna do it the same across the board. For example, I work with a lot of J&J employees. They are across the board, um, federal withholding is, is 22%. You can't increase it, you can't make it lower. So that's what it is. So um, 
you have to remember that when you get that check, it's already net of taxes. Now, if they attach to a 22% on the exercise or vesting, it's not necessarily means that what you pay at the end of the year or in the beginning of the following year when you do your taxes. If you are in a lower effective tax bracket, that means you're gonna get some of the tax back when you file your taxes. If you are in a higher effective tax bracket, you're gonna to have to pay more. And that's where that confusion comes in. The employee got taxed, they give the net proceeds to their ex-spouse, but it's on them to pay the tax. So the reconciliation has to be made every year where both parties should have their tax return side by side and they should see, okay, well, if the employee spouse had paid 22% withholding, federal withholding, but their actual effective tax rate or how much they paid on their tax return is only 20%, they owe the difference of extra tax upfront to their non-employee spouse. And I know it's really confusing and I explain it to my clients every year and I have to repeat it again. But it's so important because most people don't follow through with this. On the, on the flip side, if the employee spouse paid 22% withholding, but they are actually in the 35% effective tax rate because of other compensation or other income sources, the non-employee spouse now owes money to them. So some people, when they reconcile it, they sometimes put money in escrow. So there's not much going back and forth, but it has to be all spelled out in the document because if it's not, who's gonna enforce it? Exactly. And really it's important to use your own independent accountant to reconcile this from your spouse's accountant uh, yes. because numbers could be interpreted differently. Yep. I've heard this phrase once and I really liked it. It made a lot of sense to me. Everybody's entitled their own opinion, but no one is entitled to their own facts. Facts are facts. So <laughs> I like that. The, it's really, I, I really loved it. So you absolutely correct. Independent accountants. Because here's the fact, how you, that's how you reconcile. If you use the same accountant, in my opinion, it's um, conflict of interest. And in my opinion, don't be afraid that you might potentially owe back your spouse money. Because if your spouse is having that much more income than is pushing their bracket up, it might be a reason for a support modification. <laughs> so true. they may not even ask you for that. <laughs> Very Good true. point. Good point. Well, this concludes our episode on five critical con considerations when dividing executive compensation in divorce. Thank you, Mariana, for a great conversation. Thank you, ladies, for having me. It's something that fascinates me. Uh, the more com complex it is, the more excited I get. So I hope that I was able to communicate it properly. So to give at least people a sense of if you don't understand, ask. You know, you don't know what you don't know. So um, I hope I was able to convey that. And before we sign off, please tell us how your, our listeners can reach you. 
Great question. So the best way to reach us is to go to our website. It's www.curowm.com and Curo is spelled C-U-R-O. W-M stands for wealth management. So it's www.curowm.com. And our uh, email address, our phone number, uh, all our social media platforms are there. So we'd be more than happy to hear from our listeners. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, that's good. Okay. All right. Oh my gosh, it's so much information and it's so, um, you know, I know it's just so scary for a lot of people. And, you know, even when, you know, we had a case and the financial planner gave the recommendation that our joint client just negotiate away the LTIs and the RSUs just to keep the home. And I was like, you know, what, like what? And I, I, sometimes I feel like some financial planners do that because they know they're not going to invest that money for a long time. So there's no um, income for them. They're not making any money off of this advice or what have you. And that's so annoying to me. It is so true. A lot of times too, because they think it's complex, they don't understand that they just want to give it away. So they don't have to deal with it. And it's really interesting because I had a case where they were dividing everything properly. You know, I, I looked at the documents, everything was properly executed. And then I said to both parties, because they were amicable, I said, look, it's really important for you guys to communicate and coordinate the exercise, the timing of the exercise, because the less taxes the employee will pay, the more it's going to go to your both pockets, the net number will be higher for both of them. So it's in your best interest to communicate. And what I suggested to do is instead of exercising a lot in one year, split it over a three-year period. And the reaction was so interesting because the uh, employee spouse said to me, how come my advisor never suggested that? That means all the sense in the world. Well, well, chances are he doesn't understand how it works. Right. Yeah. Right. I, I don't think it's that unusual. And I think from my experience, because I'm typically over in the attorney's office with the clients, you know, they're saying, well, we got this piece of paper from the other side. And so that's what we're using. And that piece <laughs> of paper can be completely um, missing a lot of documentation. You know, it's routine that Catherine finds uh, money that was, that would have been just lost um, had we not dug in and, you know, said you really need this, this information to clarify the documentation that supports this data, because that often is the missing piece. Yeah. Well, how about the, how about the client that we actually went to you for some advice on as well, your input, you know, that attorney tells client, just go ahead and sell your RSUs and pay off your marital debt. And he ends up selling the non-marital portion to pay off the marital debt. <laughs> yep. Crazy. Yeah. So common. So Mariana, do you see um, often where uh, an employee's spouse will change, work with their employer to change their compensation during divorce so that it's not on the table? Is that sometimes I get that question? Well, you know, whether it's support or ED, I, I know we can cover that in another podcast, but 
you know, that often the, the non-employee spouse will say, well, can they change their compensation package so that this doesn't exist anymore or so that they're compensated in a different way that they don't have to share this with me? It's a great question. Um, I, I feel that it would be really uh, near impossible to do it for a publicly traded company. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, obviously, if you're in a really high C-suite position, maybe, mm -hmm. but generally, you, you don't, this is how the company these days, they want to tie their performance with the uh, compensation they give you. So if mm -hmm. the stock does well, your compensation is higher. But I do believe that can be easily structured if it's non-public, if it's a private company and they still issue the form of, mm -hmm. form of communication, it's probably easily manipulated. Yeah. Especially if um, they have a close relationship with their employer. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Right, right. I, yeah. Yeah. Wow. And that's why we need history. We need to see the pattern because it was never done before. Then, you know, we know something's up. And so historical data is important just as a future data. Right. There's definitely okay. a great follow-up podcast to this. Yeah. Yeah. Really it's very complex, but yeah. it's complex for all parties involved, all professionals involved. It, you know, it really takes a village to get to the bottom of a lot of these calculations yeah. and valuations yeah. and it, you know a lot of times knowing that's my that's my area of expertise the more complex the better i thrive on that i would get a call from an attorney or a, a client who's not even a client say hey i was told you can uh you understand this here's the document can you just make sure we didn't miss anything or can you interpret this for me so just a piece of information that they wanted to to make sure that they're properly yeah. handling yeah that's great Thanks. yeah keep at it yeah all right yeah it's so needed you got to keep this as your thing it's getting it's more and so... more popular yes. yeah more and more oh, companies yeah. instead of doing cash compensation yes do the uh, performance type compensation yeah because it's 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 lowering their turnover you know, so, so hard to get employees cup. and keep, yeah. Yeah. Cause you yep. give someone something today, which they can't touch or feel, but if they stay for three or five years, all of a sudden becomes quite a sizable yeah. asset. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. All right. Well, we're going to have to chat again. Of Thank course. you so much. This Always is great. A pleasure, ladies. This is so good. You look fantastic. This is really good. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. So we'll... Uh...